Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. If we haven't met yet, my name is Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist and I have a background in exercise science and also natural fertility education as well. And I specialize in PCOS because I have it too. So I know exactly how frustrating these symptoms can be. But I also know being on the kind of the other side of it now, about 10 years later, what it's like to be more in control of those symptoms. And for me, it's all about understanding the root cause of what's driving that. Um, so I always talk about how insulin's a really big factor, that's your hormone that governs blood sugar, how stress hormones can be also a really big factor for a lot of women with PCOS, thyroid, inflammation, other systems in your body which aren't working optimally, they can um, yeah, lead our bodies to be in sort of a, a more symptomatic PCOS state, I guess you would call it. So my role really is to try and help you identify what are those systems that aren't working properly so you can optimize them rather than having to overhaul your entire lifestyle and you know rip various food groups out of your diet and things like that is to actually understand okay right well if it is insulin what are the most important things I need to be doing uh, to actually improve my insulin and that's my methodology I use uh, for any of my one-on-one patients it's also what I use um, in my program the PCOS protocol um, which is a live program I'm there with you we're talking every day uh, in the Facebook group and we have a live zoom call every week where we go through questions and just figure out what's working for you what's not and what might maybe you need to change Um, so that's my whole ethos really is getting to the root cause and this podcast is going to be no different to that so This is the first podcast back after our couple of weeks break Um, and a couple of weeks ago I asked you what you wanted to hear more of um, in terms of the topics for the podcast and a resounding um, vote was for sex drive or libido. So that is what we're talking about today because the people have spoken and that is what you want to hear about. So mostly what we're going to be talking about is low libido or sex drive because that is the majority of you that are sort of more the problem i think there's definitely some um people with pcos that have a higher sex drive but it doesn't seem to be as much of a issue so they're you know not too concerned that it's higher but definitely more concerned if it's lower so that's kind of what we're focusing on today is why it can be lower and what you can do about it so when we're talking about libido what we mean by that is we really mean that a decrease so low libido really what we're talking about is a decrease in sexual desire right sexual desire is kind of the main thing we're measuring here Um, I think it's up to you to define what low sexual desire is to you know to you maybe that you've noticed a change in that for you or maybe you just never feel any interest Um, I don't I don't know what normal is I mean I know what how they classify that in research studies and they often get you to do a big questionnaire um, the questionnaire is called the PFSF questionnaire um, and then they'll analyze your results and if you get over a certain score they'll classify that as low sexual desire but that's something that having I don't know a conversation with your functional medicine practitioner or your naturopath or nutritionist they should be able to kind of ask you some of those questions around that to figure out if this is you know on the lower side um, 
And, you know, just because your desire is higher than, say, your partner's, it doesn't mean that you have a high sex drive or same, you know, just because it might be lower doesn't mean that you have a low sex drive. I think that it would be very problematic to start telling people how many times they should feel sexual desire to be quote unquote normal, especially when we'll talk about in a minute, you'll find out that our desire changes throughout our menstrual cycle. So we never have a constant desire and we're not set up. Um, physiologically that way to have that Um, so I think what really is what I was saying before is that if you feel like there's been a massive change for you or you feel just that there is never really any desire any interest then it's time to talk to someone about that and really get to the, the root of why that is in the research they sometimes split out um, the classification between low they call it low sexual desire and then there's a condition called female sexual interest slash arousal disorder which is abbreviated to FSIAD okay and it used to be called hypoactive sexual desire disorder okay so there is some uh, you know some actual diagnostic words to use for this Um, but it may be that you're just sort of on the lower sexual desire end rather than being in the kind of clinical range for that but either way it's still Um, as you'll find out through this podcast there's still generally a reason for that and also generally things that you can do to improve that so it's not something that you should wait for a diagnosis just to get started on figuring this out it's like okay well what is causing this and what else what other ramifications is that having in my body as well um so there's no questions or blood you know just one question that they would ask you or just one blood test um, to diagnose that disorder, there's actually no blood test to diagnose the disorder. Um, it's there where they're looking at kind of more longer term, well, not longer term, but longer questionnaires or more questioning to try and get to the root of whether you know what kind of problem this is. So, in terms of how many women this affects, low sexual desire has been found to affect 16% of premenopausal women. Um, this is in the research. And up to 42% of postmenopausal women. So hormonal changes happen after menopause, which um, can lead to low sexual desire. But um, again, both there's trying to get to the root cause of that, and, and that there's doesn't something doesn't need to be something that you just accept. Um, but especially if you're premenopausal, because then there isn't so much of a simple explanation when it comes to hormone changes, and really needs to get to the root cause of that. Um, but really interestingly, it seems to be much higher instance in those of us with PCOS. So I did a very unscientific poll on my Instagram stories this week to ask you, because I've been getting this question so much, and I wanted to know how many of you um, actually were finding this. So from the 300 of you that responded to this little poll on, I put on there, 64% of you said that you had low libido or low sexual desire so that's really interesting and it goes against everything that you will read online when you google low libido um, in women it often says that the cause of this is low testosterone but actually as I'll explain later this has that's been found to be completely incorrect Um, so it's yeah I would be really cautious though if you go to your doctor with the complaint of low libido low sexual desire they may not know that research and they may try and put you on you know like a testosterone hormone to try and increase that which would then make your acne and hair growth and hair loss and everything else so much worse so please be um you know please be cognizant of that and actually direct them to try and understand to get to the root cause of this and that's really what this podcast is all going to be all about is 
getting to the root cause of your low libido. Um, and many of you are asking things like, what foods should I eat to improve my libido? And I'm going to tell you now, there is not one food that is going to change this if you have severely disrupted libido okay um, and it makes me cringe like this week I saw a post from a dietitian on Instagram it was nine foods to improve your libido and the foods were things like dark chocolate and avocado and asparagus and while all you know great foods and you know there is a, a bit of a connection there that um, things like dark chocolate increases your neurotransmitters brain neurotransmitters which have been found to be um, one of the governing things when it comes to libido but and same thing with you know avocado and asparagus it's all about the b vitamins and again they are really important when it comes to your neurotransmitters but i really don't want you thinking that if you go and eat an avocado or two pieces of dark chocolate that your low sexual desire issues will be automatically solved um, because they probably won't and then you're just going to get frustrated and think you know and, and potentially not know we'd look further so I'm actually going to go into the more like deep root causes and I would say that for almost all women that I've met their low libido isn't due to the fact that they're not eating enough avocado or dark chocolate okay like that is just it doesn't work like that so I want you to get to the root cause of what's causing this and you'll hear that often these root causes are very similar to the, to the reasons why you might be suffering from PCOS symptoms as well. And this is why I think it's so important that we don't just treat the symptom like, oh, you've got low libido here, eat an avocado or take some testosterone supplements. It's like, no, actually, let's look at why you have low libido or sexual desire and then actually we probably will also be able to fix the fertility challenges or the hair growth or the acne or at least improve those symptoms quite significantly as well. And if you haven't heard me talk about this root cause analogy uh, or my theory around this, then go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast and you'll hear about how my theory is all about treating that root cause or causes rather than treating the symptoms of PCOS and it's the same that goes for libido. So when it comes to libido, I think there's a huge amount of misconceptions here. One is that um, women have you know, lower libido than men, and that's actually not the case. Science has proved that, that isn't the case at all. Um, when we look at females and males, we have about the same in terms of sexual desire. What differs, though, is that um, we women's desire changes throughout our menstrual cycle, right? So it's not just constant every day of the month. It does ebb and flow, and that is purely around probably a evolutionary drive that we should want to have sex when we're actually leading up to ovulation in order to make it easier to conceive whereas men they don't have a time in their cycle that they're fertile they, they don't have a cycle they're always fertile so it's it's um it's quite different there but I think this has been a really um a really kind of prevalent discourse is that women are less sexual than men or have less sexual desire than men and that's just not the case at all um, and it probably shows up quite a bit in the research that there is just woefully inadequate research around sexual desire in females in comparison to say fertility um, which is just yeah I think there's again it's a very common um, thought probably from you know years gone by that when it's women are not seen as sexual beings they're you know seen more as reproductive 
vessels, if anything. So I, when I talk, I'm talking about studies here, there haven't been a huge amount of studies. Even when it's like a review of the literature, it'll be like, I don't know, five studies. So still woefully inadequate, but there is enough there that can help us to understand a little bit more about what's going on in that kind of that root cause for us. So the massive assumption is that testosterone levels govern sex drive. You Google any article about female sex drive and you'll see some reference to low testosterone. But this is actually completely untrue. The research has found no association between testosterone levels and sex drive in females. Okay, And I think that this assumption may have come about from this completely untrue thought that males are more sexual than females and therefore you know testosterone is higher in males and sex drive is higher in males so therefore testosterone much must govern sex drive and it's just yeah it just doesn't stack up in the research um so yeah just be very aware of this because often this is i think this is why it is often thought that females well people with pcos have higher sex drive because if you have higher testosterone which is often the case in pcos then you're going to have therefore higher sex drive but as you've seen and you guys are telling me that doesn't stack up for you because you may have all the symptoms of high testosterone you might be having you know uh, facial hair growth or acne or hair loss in the crown of your head and yet you've got low sex drive and I'm seeing this so much I see this very often with one-on-one patients where we run a testosterone blood test and they've got low testosterone in their blood but then all of the hallmarks of high testosterone like you know hair growth and stuff like that and so um, be very wary of this because there are many medical practitioners out there who don't understand this yet and haven't you know haven't spent the time because it does you know not everyone can be an expert on every area of medicine and they may have just heard this at medical training and uh, and are going with that that if you have low sex drive then you have low testosterone they might try and give you some testosterone supplements or medication and this is probably not going to have any impact on your sex drive but have a huge impact increasing your other PCOS symptoms like your hair growth and acne and and things like that so yeah be very aware of this misnomer in the um, in the medical community um, so I'll link to the studies in the show notes for where they've found no association between sex drive and testosterone levels as well just in case someone does try and push that on you and you can be like mm, actually this doesn't stack up with evidence so what we do know is that it's far more complicated than just you know testosterone it is um see our sex drive is governed not only by our hormones so yes our hormones do play a part testosterone plays some part but estrogen probably likely plays a much greater role um, progesterone as well so our other kind of sex hormone um, but also our brain neurotransmitters so serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin and then also our stress hormones as well norepinephrine adrenaline noradrenaline cortisol um, and acetylcholine as well which is another um, another neurotransmitter so the thought is that actually um, estrogen is what primes our sensory organs it is what helps um, get them ready for like external stimuli so external stimuli is part of what then helps us to feel sexual desire as well rather than just it being completely internal Um, and this is why people can get turned on by visual stimuli right and not just visual but also um, those estrogen receptors can respond to the sense of touch um, vibration sensation clitoral sensitivity etc so they estrogens are really vital in the adequate functioning of our 
also our neurotransmitters of our serotonin and our neuroadrenaline and our dopamine in women as well, which is really fascinating. Um, and this is possibly why the massive increase in um, the amount of women that have low libido after menopause, because after menopause, um, your body stops producing estrogen and progesterone as well as you stop ovulating. So that could be the you know the really big connection there. But as you've heard, it's not just about those um, you know the sex hormones. It's also about how your brain's working, how your body's functioning, and other systems as well. And what you what we're going to go into now is some of the root causes for. Um, low libido and you'll see that there is a giant massive connection between those root causes and the root causes of PCOS as well. So first off the rank is the one that I always talk about, insulin resistance. So high levels of insulin, very common in people with PCOS about, um, so it's 95% of people that struggle with weight gain and PCOS have insulin issues, 75% of those who have never had any problems with weight gain have PCOS, also have insulin resistance, okay? So total, 80% of people with PCOS have some insulin issues. Um, And really interestingly, they found in the research that women with prediabetes, insulin resistance, have lower scores of sexual desire and sexual satisfaction. And that this is basically... um, a correlation the higher your insulin levels the lower sexual desire so as then women progressed from not only pre-diabetes but into type 2 diabetes those levels of sexual desire decreased as well as the um, sexual arousal levels lubrication levels orgasm and sexual functioning as well right so this is a really really big connection um, and this is why I often see that when we actually address that root cause of insulin, a lot of these other symptoms like sexual, um, you know, sexual desire, libido actually improve, as well as other symptoms of PCOS like fertility, like um, hair growth and acne and hair loss as well. So the next root cause is hypothyroidism. Again, another one that is really high in women with PCOS. So about 25% of people with PCOS have a... Um, thyroid condition and it has been found that compared with people that don't have a thyroid condition those that do have hypothyroidism have lower sexual desire scores on those um, questionnaires that they use in studies as well Um, and it isn't just about sexual desire it's also again about lubrication arousal orgasm so if this is you if you're like yes actually I do find it harder you know in terms of my lubrication levels are much lower my ability to orgasm is much lower Um, I I did hear that in many of your questions coming through on my Instagram stories when you're asking about libido a lot of you said you know there's been a significant change in my ability to actually reach climax reach orgasm so these are not just around libido but also those other markers of sexual satisfaction as well um, and one um, so these studies they found that those that have high like lower levels of thyroid hormone have lower levels of um, libido but also higher levels of prolactin now prolactin is your hormone that should only really be high when you're breastfeeding right like lactation prolactin makes you lactate um, and but Actually, many people that have high prolactin that aren't breastfeeding or haven't breastfed, they find that they have actually hypothyroidism. And it has been found that high levels of prolactin are also correlated with low levels of libido as well. 
So that's the second one. Third one is your adrenals. So your adrenals are, you know, you, we're talking, what we're talking about here is your stress hormones. So your adrenal glands release stress hormones. This is why I talk about your adrenals. Um, and what we're talking about there when there's a disruption in your adrenal glands is a condition called HPA access dysfunction. Now this used to be called adrenal fatigue, um, but we want to get away from using that term because it doesn't really adequately describe what's going on. Your adrenals don't get fatigued. They don't just be like, oh, I've been producing so much cortisol my whole life, now I can't produce any. It's not like that. It is, they don't lose their ability to produce cortisol, but the disruption or the the communication between your brain and your adrenal glands, that's what get, gets disrupted. So your adrenal glands, how much you're, you're producing is actually con controlled by your brain, especially the hypothalamus and your pituitary glands in your brain. And so over time, if your um, body has been continually stressed, um, that uh, communication system between your brain and your adrenal glands erodes and this reduces your resiliency and depletes your what's called your metabolic reserve so basically how adaptable you are to these high levels of stress hormones and your ability to respond to change and you know not just change from a like oh I'm going to pivot you know like I don't know how there's been so much talk about pivoting during COVID not about that but it's just your physiological responses so your ability to you know upregulate your immune system or downregulate your immune system or um, you know your ability to produce glucose and grain muscle and everything like that so the loss of that resiliency and depletion of your metabolic reserve leads to changes in your cortisol output so over time your cortisol, you know, when you're first in the stages of lots and lots of stress, your cortisol will be raised, so it'll be high. And then in the latter stages of that, your cortisol will be depleted, so it won't be able, you know, it won't be producing as much. And this is the stage of that adrenal, you know, that is the kind of the adrenal fatigue, as you would, if you like to think about it like that. Um, and I've explained before that, you know, that's why we don't call it that anymore. But those low levels of cortisol, that has been what they found have found to be especially associated with low sexual desire um, so they've done they did this big study and they took about 270 women and divided them into two groups so one group was the control group they didn't have any um, you know they had normal desire levels normal libido and one with low um, levels of desire so they were actually those hypo you know the actual categorization the actual clinical diagnosis of low libido and um, the results showed that those that had um, low sexual desire were associated with that HPA access dysfunction and especially the low cortisol levels were the most likely to be have the low sexual dysfunction as well. They've also found another study, they did a big study with US and UK women and found that um, interestingly about 50% of them that reported having low sexual desire, when a stressful event resolved itself they then found their um, sexual desire had increased so and this makes sense right like so you think about a, an event like um, maybe you're getting bullied at work and you're therefore your body's producing a high amount of cortisol because that's a threat your body is well your mind your brain is is looking at that as a threat and so your body's producing a whole bunch of cortisol and so suddenly when you you know take that threat away so this in this case maybe you move on from that job you get a new job or the bully is you know is moved on then they suddenly your cortisol levels decrease and now suddenly your stress hormones so your cortisol levels increase and now your sexual desire also increases and um, and that doesn't just have to be kind of a one-off thing like 
you know, being bullied. It can be just being overwhelmed, overloaded with so much on your plate. So maybe it's that you've got, you know, small children and you're also trying to hold down a corporate job and you're also trying to be on the board of trustees for school and uh, also trying to hold down some resemblance of a social life. Um, Maybe it's that you're also looking after a sick parent. You know, that is just that being, is what I call your stress bucket, being overflowing. So you can only have the capacity to handle so much stress. And we can't just keep shoving it in and expect that our body is going to adapt and have that resiliency to actually accommodate that extra stress. Eventually, it's going to overflow. And it's when it's this overflowing amount of stress that they found that that was um, associated with high or low levels of libido. But when the stress resolved, so you took some stuff out of that stress bucket, maybe it's that you resigned from that role on the board of trustees and you actually gave up on the having to do so much in terms of your social life and things like that and just kind of manage and deal with what you had on your plate at the moment, that can help to improve your um, libido as well. And this is makes so much sense from an evolutionary standpoint, right? Like the way that our bodies are designed to work is we recognize threat as a physical threat to our life right physical that's that's the thing we're not we haven't evolved to understand psychological stress so you know things like financial stress or you know just high workload or being bullied or um having too much on our plate our body's not it doesn't it doesn't recognize that and be like okay yeah we're we're under stress but i know that i'm not going to die tomorrow it doesn't know how to interpret that it still just thinks okay i'm going to die soon and so Naturally, it is going to deprioritize the stuff that is not important for your long-term health and instead prioritize the stuff that is important for short-term survival. So things like long-term health is your immune function. And we know that high levels of stress reduces your ability for your immune system to function properly. Similarly, reproduction. It's like, well, why would I bring a baby into the world when I don't even know I'm going to survive the next two weeks, let alone, you know, a small human. So it's natural that it would reduce your sexual desire because it's like, well, I don't want you going and getting pregnant during this time. I'm not even going to make you ovulate. That's often why stress is often associated with um, disrupted cycles as well. So think about it from that, that point of view that your body doesn't understand why you're stressed. It just thinks that there is some threat to your life and it's natural for it to not want to reproduce during that stage. So this is why that can be associated with low levels of libido as well. Um, and also, it is a really big um, PCOS root cause as well. So if you go back and listen to that first ever episode of this podcast, you'll understand how your stress hormones um, do impact your PCOS symptoms too. So that is root cause number three. So we've gone through insulin, hypothyroidism, and stress. Root cause number four is low mood and uh, mental health illnesses. So depression and anxiety. Specifically depression really seems to be the one that's really highly correlated. So low mood, um, researchers found that when they um, clinically analyze patients who have low mood, they remove those that have got clinical depression. They found that even those just with low mood, not with depression, had much lower sexual desire scores than those that had higher levels of mood. And this comes down to potentially the role that your DHEA hormone um, is involved in there. So DHEA, very different to DHEA-S. DHEA-S is the androgen one, the testosterone-like one. DHEA is the one that they uh, kind of found a few years ago and they coined it the anti-aging hormone. And they thought it was like the elixir for long life and no wrinkles and etc. They've since found that it's 
like anything in health, there is no one, you know, cause of anti-aging and DHEA doesn't, you know, you can't just give people DHEA hormone that's going to make them live forever or not get any wrinkles. It doesn't work that way. But they have found that um, low mood is often associated with low DHEA and low DHEA is often correlated with low libido as well. So that's potentially the, um, the connection there. Next up, that's depression. So they have found that overall... Men and women with depression are more likely to have low libido than those that don't have depression. So one study they did they um, to look at the actual the incidence of low libido and depression, they took about 130 people with depression and they found that 77% of them had low sexual desire or libido. So a really big part. And this comes back to potentially, like it's really hard to figure out what the mechanism is here. That There's just often not just one mechanism, but one of the really common ones, and we talked about this at the start when I talked about what causes low libido, is that we know that our neurotransmitters in your brain um, have a massive role in this. So t- serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, which are all involved in, uh, we think, in mood disorders and especially depression, they play a big role in libido so if they are reduced as they think what happens in depression then it's quite likely that um, this could be the causal effect of why um, depression could cause low libido but in a really cruel twist of events the drugs that are used to treat depression are also have been found to lower sexual desire and libido as well so this is a really, really hard one. So um, the drugs that are often used to, de- to treat depression, um, there's lots of them, but for example, SSRIs are really common um, and they have been found to have a long-term decrease in libido and other sexual functions, even after the users of those drugs have had improvements in their depression and have stopped using them as well. So, God, it's just, you know, so tough. It's like... You know, depression can cause low libido, but then the treatment for depression can also cause low libido and even longer lasting as well. Now, not all SSRIs are the same. So there have been some that have been found to be better than others. Um, but the ones that have been found in studies to or be the worst when it comes to this reduction in libido are Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, and Celexa, and Luvox is the other one as well. So just have a chat to your doctor because there are some that have been shown to be better. But if you are, if you have noticed that your libido has decreased since being on antidepressants, um, that could be why. And it might be well worth having a chat to your doctor about if there's a better one for you. Now, while we're on the topic of medications, hormonal contraception is the next cab off the rank when we're talking about root causes. So when I asked you guys about questions that you had for this podcast, Nicole, you said um, something along the lines of hormonal contraception. I bet this is a hotly debated topic. And yes, it is. And this is, again, because like SSRIs, not all hormonal contraceptives are created equal. And you'll remember this from if you listened to my podcast a few weeks ago about hormonal contraceptives and PCOS. I talked there about how they're not all created equal for PCOS symptoms and some of them can make PCOS symptoms worse and some of them can make PCOS symptoms better. And this is because they all contain different levels of the synthetic progestins and estrogens and different types of progestins as well. So for example, the like Yaz and Diane35 and Yasmin contain a form of progestin that is more 
anti-androgenic, so it's more testosterone lowering. Um, whereas things like the marina coil, um, they they actually allow some people to ovulate. Whereas like the combined oral contraceptive, the way it works is by stop completely stopping ovulation. So their mechanism of action and what hormones they release is different depending on the hormonal contraception you choose. And so this is probably why they have found in studies that some hormonal contraception reduces libido and some hormonal contraception doesn't reduce libido. And But actually, the thought was that, well, maybe it's because of the testosterone-lowering effect that it has in the body. And that's, you know, when I talked in the, the hormonal contraception podcast about how some of them lower androgens. Um, but there's, again, no correlation between the testosterone and it lowering testosterone levels and sexual desire. One really interesting study, they actually took two different forms of um, the contraceptive pill. So say, for example, it was, I don't know, Estelle and Diane 35. They weren't the ones, but just, you know, think about it like that. And then they took the vaginal ring and they measured their sexual desire um, over, I think it was 12 months, right? So it wasn't a short-term study. And so one of the oral contraceptive was a low dose. So say it was like 15 milligrams of estrogen and 60 milligrams of progestin. And it was a form of progestin called gestadine. And the other one was a higher dose. It was about 20 grams of um, estrogen and 100 grams of the progestin and in this case they used levonorgestrel and then they used the vaginal ring as a third one and what they found was that in the low dose oral contraceptive the one the gestadine one they reported a reduction of 42 percent in sexual desire whereas the vaginal ring one they actually increased their sexual desire across the 12 months so um really is it's not about that all oral contraceptive bad it's that it it really depends on the type that you have and that you know that as the result that that's going to have on sexual desire as well and potentially also you and your maybe it comes down a little bit to genetics and stuff as well um, in terms of how those oral contraceptives are going to work for you so for example you could be listening to the podcast and you are on the vaginal ring and you're like um excuse me i've had a decrease in sexual desire since i've been on it and that's totally fine right there is always individual variability but i think just on the whole as kind of a summary for when they you know have done a review of all the research on oral contraceptives um they found that of the 15 studies okay this is how small the number of studies are on sexual desire and the pill but it's only been so 15 studies found no sorry found an increase in sexual desire with um this is actually the combined oral contraceptive okay so we'll just that wouldn't include the vaginal ring but this is just combined oral contraceptive so 15 um studies found an increase 12 studies found no impact and nine studies found a decrease okay so overall doesn't look you know, it looks like more of an increase than a decrease, but I think that also comes down to individual variation as well. So maybe you can look back at your history and find a correlation between when you went on a certain contraceptive and a reduction in sexual desire, and maybe that will help you to get to that root cause for yourself about, okay, well, maybe this form is not the right one for me. The next root cause is menopause, okay? Um, and as I said before, there is... Uh, you know, studies have shown that about 42% of people um, have low sexual desire after menopause. So just realizing that that is um, a big, you know, component. Uh, so again, when you're looking for the root cause, if you have gone through menopause and that has decreased, then this could be why. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to stay like that. It's just that could it could lead you to help to understand what's causing this and then what could work as a treatment. Um, so what they found was that women that 
have been through menopause had there was a significant decrease in desire arousal orgasm and the frequency of sexual activity which is not surprising um, and also decrease in vaginal dryness I mean it's not surprising because if you're not feeling like it you're probably not going to have it okay so that's that's why um, and that also the changes were significantly related to declining estrogen estrogen levels estradiol levels estradiol is the form of estrogen that is most prevalent in our body and that was what they found was the most commonly associated thing um, but also do realize that um, insulin resistance often increases after menopause as well so it could be again multifactorial it might be not just a, you know giving your giving you hormonal replacement therapy with estrogen but also um, you know addressing that insulin maybe addressing stress hormone as well um, maybe there's a thyroid condition and this could you know increase postmenopausal as well so the last one, the last root cause that I'm going to go through today, this is not by all means a comprehensive analysis of every possible thing that could um, cause a reduction in libido, but it's probably the main, the most common ones that I see. Um, and this is one that is good and bad, and this is your menstrual cycle. So your menstrual cycle um, changes how you've, um, your desire levels. So during um, the first half of our cycle, when we're leading up to ovulation, our sexual desire is increased and it's too um, it's just as strong as men at that stage but then after we have ovulated going leading into that high levels of progesterone then our levels decrease okay and this makes sense because it's like evolutionary our body would want us to desire sex more when we are actually in the most fertile phase of our cycle which is leading up to ovulation um, and then after we've ovulated there is no chance we can get pregnant so it's going to decrease that desire um, so yeah, that's how your cycle can influence. So that's what I mean by it can be good and bad, depending on where you are in your cycle. Now, what do you do about it? Well, as I always say, it's really getting to the root cause. So the things I'm going to go through now is that addressing that root cause. So how what the evidence shows of things like improving insulin, improving thyroid hormone, etc. Um, there's also some medications that can help. Um, and as I said at the start, I'm not going to go and give you some sort of like aphrodisiac foods or things like that because I just don't believe that that's going to have the, um, a really significant impact if you have very low sexual desire. So this is the first thing is really addressing that root cause. So if you find that you have got some insulin resistance, um, then it's what they have found is that if you improve that insulin resistance, that improves sexual desire. So one study they took... A group of women who had either pre-diabetes or diabetes and they found for both groups that improvement in insulin in this in this case they used the drug metformin to improve their insulin and they found that um, the improvement in insulin was correlated with an improvement in sexual desire as well for both groups not just the pre-diabetes but both pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes as well and so in this study they used metformin which is often what they do to test um, whether you know improving insulin is going to have an impact because it's just easier to give someone a drug than what it is to give them a lifestyle treatment but studies have shown that in PCOS improvements in insulin are um, as achievable with other methods of treatment um, say changing your diet and exercise and improving sleep and things like that and inositol and other vitamins and minerals then you know you don't have to be on metformin but it is a really good option for many people um, so that is one uh, really good study that have shown you know again treating that root cause can be so helpful in, in improving libido and sexual desire 
Another study to prove this to you is when they used a mindfulness-based program to treat women with low sexual desire. So they took over 100 women, I think it was about 117, and they put them through a mindfulness training program. And they found that after, um, I think it was at 12 months, um, or no, even it was was at six months after that treatment, they did three months of treatment, I think it was, of like the mindfulness program. And at six months, they had a significantly... Um, improve sexual desire, sexual arousal, lubrication, sexual satisfaction, and overall sexual functioning. So again, this is kind of treating that root cause. Potentially for them, it was you know the high stress hormones has helped with the high stress hormones because mindfulness can help you focus on the here and now rather than worrying about what happened in the past or what's happening in the future, which can be a, a really significant cause of increased stress and cortisol. Um, another one treating the root cause was thyroid. Um, they found that. Um, in studies using medications such as levothyroxine or lyothyronine, they found that when those treatments were used and hypothyroidism was improved, that also sexual desire was increased as well. So these are all studies to help you see that by treating that root cause, we can have a dramatic impact on um, you know, on our sexual desire. It's not just about, like, as I said at the start, eating some dark chocolate or an avocado. It's like if we if we do that and there's some, you know, for example, I just I hope that you can see how silly that is, that it's like an avocado is not going to fix underlying insulin resistance or underlying depression or underlying chronic stress hormone, high stress hormone levels or underlying hypothyroidism that hasn't been diagnosed. So I don't want you to think that if you just go and eat these nine foods, you're going to suddenly increase your libido because it's just not going to be the case. You really, really need to get to the bottom of those root causes and and then set about treating them. And that's exactly what I do with every patient that I work with or anyone that I work with in the PCOS protocol. That's the whole thing. Their first week is figuring out these kind of root cause things and especially those really common ones with PCOS, the insulin, the stress hormones, the thyroid, the inflammation. Um, and while we're definitely not in the game of diagnosing depression in the protocol, um, we, we can figure out some of those other underlying root causes for you and help then put a treatment plan in place. And I think that would be the first step, really. That's exactly what I'd recommend to anyone is that, okay, so we know that these are really common root causes in PCOS and also in low libido. So let's actually just get that low-hanging fruit. And by low-hanging fruit, I mean the things that we already know are likely going to be the problem. Um, I or any other practitioner is never going to be able to say to you, okay, this is the reason, right? Like, okay, you've got insulin resistance, so that's the reason why your libido is low. No, it could be part of the picture, but there also could be something else that you haven't figured out as well. So maybe it's that there's hypothyroidism. But you're never going to know that until you just try. So if what we do in the protocol is we first and foremost they say well 80% of you have some insulin resistance so let's figure out if that's part of the problem here and if it is okay let's treat that first and um, we know that 50% of you stress hormones are a problem so if that's you okay let's treat that first and once we've done that if libido is still an issue then we look further and go okay so is there some depression that we don't know about what hormonal contraceptive are you using are you using any other drugs that could potentially be doing that and so really just try and um, pick off different things that we could think that could be uh, implicated in there. Um, and also for you as well, start looking back into your lifestyle and try, trying to think, okay, when did this start to decrease? And was there any correlation with other things that have happened in my life? So was there a really stressful event that I went through? Did I start taking some medication? Did I change my hormonal contraceptive? Is there anything I can kind of link up that might um, give me a really good clue about what happened in my kind of health history? And that's where you can start to look yourself as well. 
Then you've also got some drugs that have been approved for low sexual desire treatment as well. So one sold by the name brand name Addy is a medication that's been approved for the treatment for premenopausal women with hypoactive sexual desire disorder. I don't know if it's also been approved for postmenopausal. That's all I could find was it's premenopausal. Um, so these are the ones that have been formally diagnosed with that condition. Um, and it was actually, the drug was originally developed for the treatment of major depressive disorder. So what it does is it works by raising the levels of dopamine and norepinephrine while lowering the levels of serotonin. And that way, the chemicals that help promote sexual desire are increased. So dopamine and norepinephrine. Um, and then the ones that are, those that are involved with lowering sexual desire, so serotonin is decreased. Um, and... What they have found in studies that they've found when they've been using this, that the medication increases the number of satisfying sexual events per month by about a half. So that could be a potential treatment as well. But again, I think um, maybe looking at that in terms of like that root cause thing. So it's like, okay, if, if there's maybe some underlying insulin resistance or high stress hormones that haven't been identified or haven't been treated, then maybe that drug wouldn't be as effective as if you also then treated the root, other root causes alongside taking it. So I think while it can, could be potentially really helpful. And if you think, if you, you know, Google the hypoactive sexual desire uh, disorder symptoms and or how they categorize it. And if you think that you fit that picture or maybe just go and talk to your doctor about it and say, hey, look, this is, these are my symptoms. Um, is, is could this be something that would be helpful for me? And they may say, yeah, or, but also they probably aren't going to be looking for those other root causes as well. So it's going to be up to you to either come and join our protocol or work with another kind of more functional based medicine practitioner to really get to the bottom of those other root causes and make sure that you don't have something else like hypothyroidism, which could be, you know, really contributing to that as well. Um, so I'd really recommend just, um, you know, talking to your doctor as well as, as, if there is other things that can be done or whether you would even, you know, whether you may fit that diagnosis for that disorder too. Um, another thing that's often, I often hear, hear people talking about is the supplement MACA, um, which is often touted to improve um, sexual desire. I haven't had great, I'm not a huge fan of MACA, to be fair, I'm not, I'm just, I haven't had great success with it and um, another thing it can do is it can increase testosterone, and maybe this is the reason why it's been touted as improving, uh, helping them to improve sexual desire. I just I wasn't able to find a huge number of studies on it, um, and also I just think that if it's going to increase testosterone, then it could make PCOS symptoms worse, and this is what I have seen in some women in the past that when they've started using it, their hirsutism or facial hair gets worse or acne gets worse. So yeah, I'm I'm on the fence about MACA. Um, I haven't seen enough studies research for it yet to say that it's going to help. So just yeah, I'd say be a bit be a bit wary of that one. Um, but if you're working with a functional doctor or naturopathic doctor and they're recommending it, then they've obviously got a good reason and go with them. Um, but just if you're searching supplements online for how to increase sexual you know desire, how to increase libido, and you're seeing MACA everywhere. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy a whole ton and chuck it in your smoothies because I'm not so sure it's going to be helpful. So that is it for our podcast today on libido. I hope that that's helped. Um, really, the summary is try and get to that root cause. So remembering that those root causes are often the same for your PCOS symptoms. So getting to them is probably going to improve that. So the main ones there, insulin, hypothyroidism, adrenals, um, and also then other things that are going on in your life. Maybe it's mood, depression, maybe it's the supplements you're taking, sorry, not supplements, your medication you're taking, the hormone contraceptive, the anti um 
the antidepressants as well and they're remembering that there may be more than one right so it's not just but the get to the probably the low-hanging fruit so the ones that are most likely to be out in women with PCOS try and figure those out first and if that's not the case for you then moving on um, but otherwise you can be kind of using a scattergun approach and trying lots of different things and not sticking with them for long enough for it to really have much of an impact so um yeah i really recommend you work with someone who knows what they're doing here to try and figure this out um because you're not you know you can't expect yourself to be the expert in everything you're the expert in the career that you have and the job that you do and um just like you wouldn't expect someone else to be walking to your job and do this do the, your job as well as you do don't expect yourself to be able to work and get into like my shoes and do my job as as I do it because it you know takes ten years of learning to get to this stage. So work with someone who knows what they're doing here um, rather than kind of using that scattergun approach of trying different supplements or foods to increase libido and things like that would be my really 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 big recommendation for you. So that's all for this week um, and I hope that that has helped some of you. I know there's no quick fixes here but that's kind of always the case when it comes to working on your health so remember that it is sort of the long haul. You didn't get to where you are today overnight and so it's not going to be reversed overnight. Certainly not going to be reversed by eating two pieces of dark chocolate. Um, so just remember that um, there is light at the end of the tunnel but it may take some time to get to that point as well but the sooner you start the sooner probably that you are going to find out what that is and, and hopefully get some symptom resolution. So that's all for today and talk to you next week. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.